today. That's our, our emphasis uh, passage. Um, we are in week three, uh, and actually the final week of a series that, that we've called True North. And over the last three weeks, our, our goal has been fairly simple. Our goal has been to help us understand and, and remember that God has called us to live a life that is, that is based on a fixed standard. That there's a fixed direction, that there's a fixed calling, that there's a fixed path and race that our life is supposed to follow. And over the past few weeks, we've, we've looked at how the scriptures have challenged us and remind us that, that along this path, we are to remain true and centered. We've seen that, that there are many things that happen in our lives where it's easy for us to get off course. Our world that we live in, our culture, is constantly moving and constantly changing and constantly shifting. And if we're not careful, we become people who attach ourselves or orient our compass to the ways of our culture and to the way of our world. And soon, as we journey through life, we are no longer journeying through life on a fixed path, that which we've called true north. We're no longer journeying through life in a fixed direction. We're journeying through life in a path and a course that is always changing, that is always moving. We've set our moral compass to that of our culture that is always shifting. We've set our ethical compass to the, to the, the, the ways of our culture that are always in flux. We've set our lives in a direction, in a path, according to that which is constantly moving. But God has called us as Christ followers, as those who would take His name and follow after Him. God has called us to set our moral compass, our ethical compass, the compass of our lives on a path that is true and on a path that is fixed, on a path that does not change. He has called us to walk in a way and live in a manner that resembles who He is. He never changes. Whether it be yesterday, today, or tomorrow, God does not change. His character and His values and His priorities are set. And He calls us to take on that same attitude. To transform our lives into the image of Christ. That we would follow Him. But one thing that we've talked about over the past few weeks is that we recognize how easy it is to get off course. Many of us would, would shake our head in agreement and, and raise our hand in, in testimony and we would, we would want to sing and shout hallelujah that, that yes, God is our God and Christ is the one that we're to follow. But many of us would also quickly recall and confess that there are times in our lives when Maybe it was just for a moment, or maybe it was just for a season, but it's been easy to get knocked off course. 
It's been easy to, to know the direction that we're supposed to go, but to take one step out of line with God. For many, for, for, uh, many of us, it's been just like that. We've, we've found ourselves drifting. For some people, for some people, there's been a catastrophic event in their life and it's just totally rocked their world to the, where, to the, to the degree that they've been totally thrown off course. They're, they're questioning God. They don't understand who He is and, and not questioning in the sense that we ask God questions, but, but really questioning that does God even exist? Is this really even the right thing? Uh, does God even know what He's doing? And, and some of us have, have because of, of major circumstances, been rocked off the course. But I would venture to guess that for many of us, when we're honest, we've fallen away from the path that God intended for us just by drifting. Just by simply taking one step one day that was outside of His preferred path and never reorienting ourselves back to Him. For many of us, we've just taken one step But what we saw is one step over a period of time is a great distance from the preferred path that God has for us. And so we said it's easier to make those course corrections, to get back on course with God, the sooner that we recognize it. Sooner rather than later. Because the longer we wait to make those course corrections, the more consequences we have in our life that we have to deal with. Although God is gracious and God will, will give us, grant us forgiveness and God will show His mercy and His love and His grace and continue to guide us on this preferred path that He has for us. Although He welcomes us back into a relationship with Him, we still have to deal with the consequences of our lives. And so we've said, the sooner we can reorient ourselves, the sooner we can recalibrate our compass, the better it is. The easier it is. The more benefit it will have for us. Along this this journey, we've said that, we've said unapologetically that the path that God calls us to, the path that is fixed in front of us, rests solely in Jesus Christ. We've said that Jesus is our fixed point. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself in this triune nature of the Godhead, Jesus Christ is the fixed point on the map that we calibrate our lives to. I will change and alter and adjust and calibrate my life to that of Christ. We saw in John chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And and that is a a line-in-the-sand declarative statement by Christ. He said, you can can look to all of these other ways. You can look to a, a number of different religions and a number of different paths, but they will not lead you to God. They will not lead you to the true God, to the Father in heaven. There is a clear path. There is a fixed marker. And it is Jesus Christ. And we've unapologetically said that is the direction and the way in which our life is to be oriented, calibrated. It's the path in which we're to go. 
With that as the, the groundwork, we, we looked in week one that it, in Hebrews chapter 12, we looked at the key to living that life, to living that fixed true north life is perseverance. And we looked at the fact that many of us want want to give up at some point in our life. Many of us are, are pulled by our circumstances, are pulled by the frustration and the challenges. Many of us face difficulties in our life that would seek to knock us off course with the direction that God has for us. Many of us would want to look at our faith and just quit and walk away from God, either intentionally or unintentionally. There's a time and there's a moment where I just stopped. I stopped praying. I stopped reading. I stopped going to church because my life was so hard, the circumstances were so difficult, somehow, for some reason, I just stopped. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't stop, but persevere. Push on, push through. One of the things that we recognize, putting chapter 12 in the greater context of of chapter 10 and 11, is that the writer of Hebrews makes a comment about those of us who call ourselves Christian, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. He says, we are not of those who shrink back, but we press on. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we persevere. We move forward. We keep walking. Does the world crash in around us? Absolutely. But it doesn't knock us off course. We keep moving in the way that God has designed. We keep trusting. We keep hoping with full assurance. We put faith in who God is. And in chapter 11, we saw that there is a cloud of witnesses that testify to that, that we can look back on as a, as a witness, as an example of those who did not quit, those who did not give up. They pressed on and they moved forward. And in this cloud of witnesses, as we looked at their life, we understood this. They, are, they were just as broken and flawed as we are. They were just as broken and flawed. And these were the heroes of faith. These were the ones that we lift up and and hold high. These are the ones that in our children's ministry they color pictures of. And they were just as broken and just as flawed as we are. But they pressed on. They didn't lose hope. They didn't quit. They wanted to. And at just the right moment, God met them exactly where they were. God met them at the exact moment that they needed with exactly what they needed to help move them to the place that God needed them to be. It takes perseverance. It's not easy. But we're not of those who shrink back. We, we press on. And God will meet us exactly where we are with exactly what we need to place us exactly where He needs us to be. In week two, we looked at this idea of perseverance takes persistence. We've got to keep on going. We've got to keep on disciplining our lives to walk in in this idea of perseverance. To persevere means to persist. And to persist, we need to to discipline ourselves. And the writer in Hebrews shared shared with us two specific steps. He said, first of all, you need to throw off. He said, you need to throw off 
that which hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you. He said you need to let go of it. It was that picture of you taking off of yourself that which would encumber you, that which would hinder you, and setting it down and and laying it aside. Only you can do it was the essence of what he was saying. Only you can make that choice. Nobody can choose it for you, and nobody can do it for you. You have to let it go. You have to throw it off. Anything that would constrict or hinder your walk in faith. And we said that's very subjective. Each and every one of us, that's very subjective of the things that hinder us or hold us back. But whatever it is, as we examine our lives, whatever is holding us back, you I, we, we need to let go of it ourselves and drop it off. Not only what hinders us, but the sin that so easily entangles us, like that which is wrapped around our feet, preventing us from moving forward and running. And only we can choose to, set, to throw that off and throw that aside. And the sin, the sin that entangles us is very objective. It's true for all people in all places at all times. Sin is sin. And it will keep us from running the race that God has for us. So that which entangles us and that which which holds us and constricts us, hinders us from running the race, the writer of Hebrews says you need to throw that off. And the second thing that the writer of Hebrews said is you need to run. You need to run the race. Run this race, this life that God is for you, that God has placed in front of you. Run in the orientation and the direction and the fixed path that God has set through Jesus Christ. Run into that life. Run and embrace God. Run and take Him into your world, into your workplace, into your community, into your schools. Run with your faith. Don't just walk in your life. Don't just saunter through life. Don't just study the race. Don't just sing about the race. Don't just talk about the race, but actually run the race. It's an action word. It's a verb of action. You need to run the race and the life that is before you. The one thing that we saw with that is you can't run that race unless you've previously done the, the, the action of throwing off what hinders you. To run only works if we've thrown off what hinders us and the sin that entangles us. We need to be persistent with it because the sin creeps back up in our life. The temptation draws us away and we want to be hindered. We will be drawn back to those habits that keep us from Him. So we need to continuously, habitually throw those things off. Today as we wrap up this series, we're going to look quickly at what it means to perfect our running of this race. How do we perfect this running? We've looked at perseverance. We've looked at persistence. Now, what does it take to perfect this running of the race? Let's put it back in context and let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Perfection is not based on who we are. 
If we're going to perfect our running, if we're going to perfect our, our living in this life of, of faith and, and the, the life that we live, if we're going to perfect that, it's not going to be because of who we are. It's not going to be based on our merit. It can never be what we bring to God as a tool of, of assessment or measurement to say how good we are. It's always grounded in and it's always based in who Jesus is. We cannot perfect our faith without looking to Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us two things about Jesus. First of all, he's the author of our faith. He's the one that started it all. Jesus has been from the beginning. Jesus has been from the beginning of time. Before time was ever kept, Jesus was. God the Son, part of the Godhead, has always existed. This world that we live in, the world that was created, Jesus created this as part of the Godhead. He has always been. He has always existed. Pre-incarnate. Jesus existed. Before that day that Mary gave birth to a baby called Jesus, He existed. He walked among the people. He moved among their lives. He guided His people. He sustained His people. He gave provision to His people from the beginning of time. That is, we keep time. Jesus was. In fact, when it talks about God in the Old Testament, the name for God in the Old Testament is I Am. When Moses said, who should I say sent me? God said, tell them I am sent you. He has always been. There was no beginning of Christ. And so, since there was no beginning, what he did begin was the attitude and the the act of faith that we have in following him. He created and guided and sustained us. And the ancients who were in chapter 11, the ancients put their faith and their hope in He who was to come. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this. It says, But you, Bethlehem, we often read this verse. It's a prophetic verse. It's foretelling of Christ's coming and being born. Uh, We often read this at Christmas time. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. This is who they were looking for. The ancients in chapter 11, this is who they were looking for. The ruler who would come from God. And look at what it says about him. The ruler whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Christ always was. As such, he authored faith. Often referred to in the Old Testament as the angel of Jehovah. He was the one who who led and again provided and sustained his people. He's not only the author of faith as the Hebrew writer states, but he's also the perfecter of faith. The perfection of our faith as we run this race has to be grounded in obedience. 
the perfection of our faith as we live a life that is called Christian has to be grounded in obedience. To live a life that says, I surrender all, I give all of my worship, I give everything to God, and then to walk outside of this environment and ignore His standards and ignore His priorities and live my life as I want to does not perfect our race on the path that is marked out for us. Instead, what we do is we step off the path. We continue to drift. We continue to float. We continue to alter and adjust our lives to that of the changing world and culture around us. He is the perfecter of our faith. Perfection only comes if we walk in obedience to the will of God the Father. Even Jesus had to come to terms with this. Even Jesus Himself, pre-incarnate, birthed to Mary and Joseph and living out His life with humanity, even he had to come to terms with this. He had to give himself in obedience to God's will. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians says this, Though he was God, he did not, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. From pre-incarnate to being birthed as a human. When He appeared in human form, verse 8, He humbled Himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore God elevated Him to the place of highest honor and gave Him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father, He humbled Himself in obedience to God's will and God's direction. This is how faith is perfected. This is how we, following the fixed point, the fixed way of Jesus Christ, perfect our faith and this race that we run. We do so in obedience. Not only did Jesus have to do that at the beginning, He had to do that at the end of His life. This obedience to, to God didn't come without challenge. It didn't come without, without pressure. This obedience to God didn't come without, without the heaviness of what was going on in His world. On the night in which he was betrayed, he prayed with his friends in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew that there was death on a cross that was ahead of him. And he was challenged. He was pushed in his heart. He was pushed in his spirit. And in Mark chapter 14, it says this, He told them, the disciples that had gathered with him to, to pray, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He said, stay here and, and keep watch with me. Verse 35, he went along a little farther and, and fell to the ground. And this is what Jesus prayed. He prayed that, that if it were possible, 
this awful hour awaiting him might pass by. He prayed out, Abba, Father, in a tender call out to God. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. In that final moment, in those final hours, Jesus himself looked to God and said, Hey, is there another way? Is there another way to accomplish what you want to accomplish? I am pressed hard with what's going on. I am crushed. I am beaten down with what's in front of me. God, is there another way? And then he says this. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. How many of us have ever prayed that to God that, that if there's another way, God, can you just take this away? Can you take away what's happening in my life and make it a little better, easier, safer, more secure? Have any of us ever prayed that? Can I see a hand? Am I not the, thank you. I'm not alone. We just want it. We just want, we just want it a little easier, God. I'm all good with what you want to do in the world, but I'm really hurting right now. I'm really frustrated right now. It's really dangerous right now in my life. I'm not sure I'm going to survive this. We've all prayed that. But have we prayed the second sentence? Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, that, that's the perfection of our faith, that we orient ourselves to God's direction and to God's leading. Remember, remember how he taught his disciples to pray? Early on in his ministry, right as he was starting out, they came up to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what did he say? He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. What's the next line? Thy will be done. Your will. Your will, not mine. Your will, not my hope, not my desire, not my want. Your will. Your will be done. Give us the strength to walk in your will. Give us the strength, we pray, to walk in obedience to the path that Christ has already set for us. Jesus has already done it. And that's why the writer of Hebrews calls him the perfecter of faith. He has already followed in this path. If we think our life is hard, literally he took the sin of the world on his shoulders. And he was faithful to the call of God on his heart and life. The writer of Hebrews says, he is the author and he is the perfecter. And as such, he says this, fix your eyes on him. As you run this race of perseverance, fix your eyes on Christ. I love the word picture there. To take your attention, to take your gaze, to take your look and fix it. Fix it on Christ. The idea that we cannot look in two different directions at the same time. We cannot look to the left or to the right and still be attentive to, to one or the other. We have to fix our eyes on one of the directions. He says, fix your eyes on Christ. 
looking away from others and directing your eyes towards Jesus. You know, the Scriptures often tell us we cannot serve two masters. Remember that, that story that Jesus tells you. You can't serve two masters. You either love the one or hate the other. It's the same idea. We can't live our life walking in, in our faith, going this way with the pull of our friends and the pull of our family and the pull of our, our, our culture if it's different from the pull of God in our life. We have to choose. We cannot live in a, in a duplicitous world. He says, fix your eyes on the path that God has for you by fixing your eyes on Christ. I don't know what you're going to look at. I don't know who you're going to talk to for direction in your life. But you need to, you should address and fix your eyes on Christ. He has authored your faith. He has perfected faith. Fix your eyes on Him. The running of the race of life and faith we do with this idea of constantly, habitually fixing our eyes on Jesus. And here's the tension we live with. That for one hour a week, we do that fairly well. We come into a building and we we sing the songs and we read the Scripture and and if we're moved, we raise our hands or we'll clap. And we do really well for one hour. The problem is there's six other days and 23 other hours today. That's the tension we live with. John Ortberg once, once wrote, God's not concerned about your Christian life or your spiritual life. God's concerned about your life. All of it. Every single aspect of your life. We in our, in our Christian ease and in our Western culture, sometimes we talk about Christianity and faith as though it's separate from all the other things in our life. We put it in a box and we compartmentalize our Christianity and our faith. Well, this is my faith, but this is my life. And the reality is that God says, this is your life. Your faith should be the filter of everything that happens in your life. How you respond to frustration, how you respond to temptation, how you respond to the trials and the trouble that come to your life should be filtered down through faith. Not compartmentalized off somewhere else that you reach over and grab only when the going gets tough. That's why it's called a race. That's why we're called to run it. Because it's not something that exists out there and over there. It's something that exists in every facet of our lives. And the tension is, in order to fix our, our eyes on Christ, we need to discipline ourselves to do it. Not just one hour a week. Not just one hour plus my, my volunteering in a, at the harvest party. Oh, I gave four hours this week. I'm good. It's every single day fixing our eyes on Him. Looking at my life, every aspect of it, and asking myself, am I oriented 
to the true path, the fixed path that Jesus asks me to walk in. As we kind of draw this to a close, this series and, and this chapter, these verses, I want to give you a, just three quick, simple steps that might help you keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith. The first is to practice spiritual disciplines. We need to be people who are practicing spiritual disciplines. Again, we can't just show up on game day and expect to be ready for the battle that is in front of us. We can't just show up on church on Sunday and expecting to have everything that we need for the rest of the week. I've coached enough um, athletic teams to know that you can't just practice once a week. You practice every day. You practice the disciplines every single day. Every day you pay attention to the small details. Every day you run this drill first so that you can run this drill second so that you can run this drill third so that when you go to drill number four, you put all of it together and it works in sequence with each other. We need to discipline our lives in such a way that we're constantly fixed on Him. Some of the spiritual disciplines um, that we would refer to are things like prayer and reading the Scriptures, fasting, silence and solitude, rest, worship. Modern authors like Dallas Willard and Richard Foster and even John Ortberg have have really unpacked some of these these, uh, historical biblical disciplines and really helped people understand how to implement them in their everyday living. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we looked at it this week, said it this way. He said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? I love this. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Don't just be out there. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. The same is for our faith. There was a metaphor Paul was using for our spiritual discipline. We need to do the same thing in our life. We need to discipline our spirit to fix our eyes on Christ. Second, secondly, I would, I would encourage you to stay God-centered. No matter what discipline you employ, um, our minds and our hearts and our attitudes should, should be focused on God and His words and, and His direction. An empty mind is a dangerous place. In our solitude and in our silence, we need to have a mind that is directed towards God. This is a whole other topic for another day, but, but suffice it to say, an empty mind is a dangerous place. Psalm 1 states, David wrote in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the seat of sinners or 
sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on his law, he meditates day and night. In our silence and, and in our solitude, I would encourage you to orient your mind and your thoughts towards God, his word and his laws, his precepts, his desires. The third thing that I would say to you is simply this. Forget the past. Forget the past. You know, one of the things that will hinder us from actually running the race that God has for us is the guilt of the past. When you've dealt with your past, when you've dealt honestly about it with God, and you've received and understand His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace, forget about it. Move forward. Don't allow the guilt of your past mistake, don't allow the guilt of your past blunder hinder you from moving forward. Paul wrote, Paul wrote along these lines to the, the church in, in Philippi. He wrote this in, in the letter in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I've already attained uh, or I'm already perf- perfected. Paul's just blatantly honest. Look, I'm not already, I'm not perfect in this. But I press on. I keep moving forward that I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended it, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting, what, forgetting those things which are behind me. Forgetting those things that are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead of me. Forget the past. When you've dealt honestly with God, transparently with God, you've had forgiveness, you've been restored, and you're seeking restoration and, and redemption in your, in your life for those consequences of our mistakes. If you're, if you're working that drill, don't let the guilt of the past hinder you from moving forward. Forget it. Leave it behind and move forward. God has, has, has oriented our lives through Jesus Christ on a fixed path, on a fixed direction. And it's our choice. It's our choice whether we're going to choose to walk that path, to run it, as the writer says, to run that race, or to slip off one step at a time, two steps. And over the course of time, be so far from God, we don't even know what's right or wrong. My hope is that over the last few weeks, the last three weeks, that the challenge has been clear. We live in a world of shifting cultures and changing paradigms where the enemy of God wants to destroy you. And I hope you heard that. The enemy of God wants to destroy your life. We need to stay fixed on true north. We need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. And so as we close today, that's my hope and that's my prayer. That in all that you do and in all that you in, in, uh, encounter and with all of who you are, 
you will run the race with perseverance and persistence with with trying to attain that perfection that comes from focusing your eyes and staying fixed on Jesus Christ.